Good morning. Um, we're continuing in our series on thanks, and um, we're going to turn actually to our passage, which is found in Ezra chapter 3. Um, there's Bibles in the back if you didn't bring one, and I believe the words will be up on the screen. But I wanted to start in Ezra, and we're going to kind of move from there to a few other spots, and, and um, hopefully, I think we've been having some issues with the, the slides, but hopefully those words will be up on the screen as well. So I'm going to read starting in Ezra chapter 3, um, verse 10, and it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept, with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The 2020 retrospective will not feature a lot of good events primarily. If any year in recent memory were to be acknowledged as a bad year, I think 2020 would be a runaway favorite. Many have struggled this year, not only with the seemingly relentless wave of bad news upon bad news, the pandemic, civil unrest, a derecho, election fatigue, and there may be more personal and family struggles on top of that as well. When it comes to sustained hardship, the nation of Israel is a textbook example. The Jewish people experienced years at a time of hardship in biblical times and beyond. Slavery, exile, wandering in the desert for years with no hope of a promised land. To cope, they developed a sort of spiritual muscle memory, I'll call it. Now, muscle memory is important. Often, I, when people find out what I do for a living, I work as a paramedic, and one of the things that I'm often told is, I don't know how you could do your job. Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most of what it is is muscle memory. When it gets stressful, when it seems like there's a lot going on, we're trained to just rely on that muscle memory. A big part of our training involves repeating and repeating and repeating skills over and over again so that when, when things seem chaotic and out of control, you can, it's, it's automatic. And I think a lot of people have muscle memory in things that they do in their jobs at home. Just you think of the basic everyday things that you do. If you, if you do something with the, the wrong hand or, or you know, your, your muscle memory kicks in and you realize, oh, I'm doing that wrong, and, and you correct, correct the problem. So we see this muscle memory in the nation of Israel here in our passage. But before we delve into Ezra and see what, what this passage means, it's helpful to understand a little bit of the background of that phrase that they repeat, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. 
That was a common phrase that they, they uttered, and I think it's helpful to, to kind of jump back a little bit and see kind of where that came from and why it was important to them. So the first verse I want to bring you to is First Chronicles uh, chapter 16, um, and it'll be up on the screen, and if you want to turn there for context. Um, so King David, we're in the time of King David, and he's, he's finally built this temple in Jerusalem, and it's really, it's really a tent that he made um, in Jerusalem, and finally the Ark of the Covenant that they had been carrying around has a place to be housed, and, and they, David throws a big celebration. They have singers, musical instruments, the Levites are there, and they're dressed up, and they're in their, their robes, and, it's, and of course David writes a song, because you know, David was a songwriter, and he, he wrote this song that they were to sing, and it was, it was kind of a combination of some of the psalms we read in the book of Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. So uh, it concludes in First Chronicles 16, 34, this prayer and this song, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what's interesting is that David values this particular declaration so much. It's so important to him that he appoints men, Asaph and his men, and they were, and this is verse 41, expressly named to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And I just found that so interesting that he specifically named people. And they were to be there in the temple in the morning and the evening, declaring thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. And so these men are there and Asaph and his sons and this group of men, that's kind of their job to do every day in the temple. So later on, so now we're jumping ahead now Solomon, David's son, has built a magnificent temple to the Lord. Gold, wood, uh, beautiful ornaments. Like It's all described in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Um, and he's dedicating the temple, similar to how David did it. Um, he's got everybody there singing. It's a big celebration. They sacrifice upwards of 100,000 animals at this celebration. Uh, actually, sorry, it's in Second Chronicles 5. I believe I said 6. So it was the duty of the trumpeters to make their voices heard in unison and in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. This refrain is central to the Israelites at this temple ded dedication. In fact, in, if you read the passage in Solomon's, it's repeated several times in that story alone. Um, and so those same priests who were there in David's time, they're still around and they're still doing their daily morning and night. And he has them come during this dedication and, and they sing this song. And often it was a responsive reading, kind of like we do. One person would say, give thanks to the Lord. And the, the people would repeat, for he is good, his love endures forever, and it would go back and forth. A third story, and this one is a little bit different. The nation of Israel is divided, so there's kind of two kingdoms now. And in, in one of the kingdoms, Jerusalem exists, and there's a king. They had a lot of kings kind of in and out, good kings, bad kings, and it was just kind of a very tumultuous time full of turmoil for them. And they 
um, they're with a king named Jehoshaphat. Uh, he was one of the good kings. So it's hard to keep track. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And Je- Jehoshaphat was a good king. Um, and he gets word from some of his messengers that they're being surrounded in the temple. Or Jerusalem's been surrounded by a great horde, it says. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he assembles all the people together. And they're in the temple So again, the temple plays a part in the story. And he assembles all the people and he says a prayer. He has all the priests and the Levites dressed up again. He says a prayer and he says, if disaster comes upon us, and this is uh, 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to go there. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear and save. And then he concludes his prayer and he says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And it says that one of the Levites, one of these sons of Asaph, who who has been repeating this phrase over and over again, uh, he stands up and it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and proclaims that the Lord will deliver them. And to me that... I would think as a king, okay, like looking for a a battle plan here. Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to rush into battle? Are you going to like bring a bunch of other people here to help fight this battle? And so the next morning they go out to prepare to fight this army that's coming against them. And they're starting to um, gather together. And instead of a war cry, instead of a battle cry, it says, when he had taken counsel with the people, again, all the people together, He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then the Lord goes before them and defeats their enemy. So it's just kind of this amazing repeating of this phrase and they don't know what to do. It says he didn't know what to do, but they just went out and they were thankful to the Lord. So now we're here in Ezra and the people of Israel have been in captivity Nebuchadnezzar carried them off to Babylon and they were, they were held captive. And this was just, just a brutal time for them. Their temple was destroyed, burned to the ground. The cities were destroyed and they were left without a temple, a place to worship. And they, um, they didn't know what to do. And King Cyrus, who then conquered the king that was over them, allowed them to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But during their time in captivity, Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Verse 5, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. So here they understand that forgetting Jerusalem, forgetting their worship of God would be like losing something, something so integral like the skill of their right hand, that muscle memory in a way. So 70 years, they're captive, and, they're, and now they return um, back to rebuild the temple. They're ready to rebuild. They've laid the foundation, and they gather together once more, as they had often done since the time of David, and their muscle memory begins to kick in. They remember who is central to all of this. The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. 
And they sang, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. Central and primary to their worship here is to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. It is a muscle memory, a worship memory, like instinct. The Levites know what to do when they see the foundation, and they give a loud shout because they are no longer a lost people, but the temple where they had gathered to give praise and thanks to the Lord is being restored. This is a pure moment of worship that brings together the tragedy of the past with the hope of the future under the unfailing promise that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It isn't hard to see that this declaration is ingrained in the hearts of the people of Israel. It is a spiritual muscle memory for them. It is instinctive and not a simple ritual, or it would not occur on numerous occasions in different contexts with great emotion. They would not have wept when they remembered Zion. So now we have the context, and I want to answer two important questions that will kind of serve as an application of, of how do we, how does this apply to us? How do we look to the nation of Israel as our example? And the first question is, what are they saying? And the second is, why is it important? So first, what exactly are they, are they saying? Well, they're giving thanks to the Lord because he is good. This or some version of this declaration is present in each of these texts. This communal refrain was often shouted, like I had said, as a call and response. And you can read that in several Psalms uh, that contain this stanza. One popular one is 136 that repeats, his love endures forever after every call and response. But each time in these texts, Israel finds itself in varying circumstances, in times of celebration and in times of sorrow and in times of conflict. But they give, gather together and give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. This is important. They are thankful for a good God whose love endures forever. Their primary acknowledgement is that God is good. Their circumstances have, have changed and are just all over the place, but their God has not changed. The Lord is good, and he can be nothing but good. There can, you can write volumes of books on the attributes of God, his goodness, his love, and others. But to understand the goodness of God, simply put, is that he can be nothing but good. He is good. He doesn't just do a bunch of good things. He is good, and they are thankful for that. What the nation of Israel recognizes and what they are thankful for in these texts is that the goodness of the Lord never wavers, nor is he anything other than good. And his love endures forever. God has not stopped loving his people, even though they endured hardship, captivity, and defeat. His enduring love was always the same and always toward his people. And so why is this important? What does this mean for us today? There is a connection between who God is and what he has done. Israel understood this. David, who wrote the initial phrase, the psalm, knew this well. And if you read some of these stories that we've talked about, the two celebratory events of temple dedication, you will see that they gave thanks to the Lord. And then they go on and they list a bunch of the things he has done. So David's psalm lists all the 
times that he brought them out of captivity and all the times that he's delivered them from their enemies. And they, it's, a, it's 40 verses of, of that, and then it concludes with the refrain. And they were declaring thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And then they, say, they list all those things. So when the difficult times came, when they were in captivity, and when the enemy surrounded them, they clung to the simple refrain of thanksgiving, for he is good and his love endures forever. Good things had not happened, yet they remained thankful because they acknowledged a good God whose love endures forever. In their deepest moments of fear and grief, the muscle memory of thanksgiving took over and they did what they instinctively knew to do. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. In the face of unrelenting sorrow, the love and goodness of the Lord is unrelenting. This is the reason for our thankfulness. If we were only to thank him for what he has done without first acknowledging his goodness and everlasting love, it will grow harder and harder to thank him because when we face many trials, we may lose sight of him for the waves around us. We must first lay hold of the stronghold of his goodness and everlasting love that we may endure the buffeting waves that are sure to come, safe in the assurance that he is good. In 2014, I found myself enduring these waves of doubt, unsure if God was even good at all. I worked an overnight shift, shifts, plural, as a paramedic uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, several years ago. I cannot and do not want to describe to you the horrors myself and many of my coworkers experienced and still experience to this day. To say I was face to face with evil every day would be a fair assessment. So when the events in Ferguson, Missouri unfolded on our doorstep, for a while, all hell broke loose is the only way I can describe how the next few months unfolded. Civil unrest became central to our everyday life at work, home, and anywhere else you went. Tension was high. Every house we entered, every shooting, stabbing, assault victim could be the next one to incite riots in the streets. I remember one particular event. It was the end of a peaceful protest, and there was a large group of people gathered, and they were, it was nighttime, and someone, someone was shot, and we went to go try to bring them out of this crowd, and we were just mobbed, mobbed by people around us, and we had to get out of there very quickly. And as these events unraveled in our city, my own relationships began to unravel just as quickly. My wife, kids, family, church family, and most importantly, the relationship I thought most rock solid was with Jesus quickly unraveled. I could not see the goodness and love of the Lord amidst the terror around me. Night grew darker and darker, and I questioned my faith. I stopped caring about it really at all. It was not important, because the day of evil had come to me, and I could not withstand the storm. I felt weak and powerless against the onslaught of horror and evil in this world. I nearly lost everything I had, marriage, friends, faith, all of it nearly gone. And the worst part is I didn't care. By God's grace, he brought me through, through those around me who knew that the Lord was good 
in a community of people who were assured of that promise that he is good and his love endures forever. So why did I get to that point? Why did I get to that point of despair? Because I had not laid hold of the truth of the goodness and love of the Lord and every day thanked him for it. I had long abandoned any scripture reading with regularity. I did not create in me that muscle memory as the Israelites did. The people of Israel would often tell of the things that the Lord had done for them in the context of their thanksgiving, his great victories over their enemies, all the battles he had won for them. And they would declare his goodness and his love because they would remember the times he had delivered them thousands of years later. Excuse me, delivered them. Thousands of years later, we only need to look to one victory, one battle won, and that is the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. He has declared it finished. So if the events of this past year have caused you to question the goodness of God, if they have placed doubt in your mind, look to God. Do you remember Jehoshaphat in his prayer? Surrounded by enemies, he prayed to the Lord and said, We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If you find yourself powerless, not knowing what to do, cast your eyes on him, his goodness and love, and give thanks. A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, that God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of faith as impregnable as the throne of God. You can see the goodness of the Lord in all of Scripture on every page. And when you see it, you will be able to give thanks in all circumstances, for you have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see that in all things he works for good for those who love him. You will only glimpse the goodness of the Lord by observing the world around you. We must turn to him. If you don't know him, that might look like empty, simply surrendering to him. Giving up control of your circumstances to the one who is good. For some of you, watching the election coverage 24-7, it might look like acknowledging his plans are good and perfect and giving thanks to him. Maybe some of you are enduring intensely personal issues, depression, anger, bitterness, guilt, struggling to be thankful for anything at all. Look to the Lord. He is good. Some of you might seem okay right now. You are in a good place with the Lord, and that is okay. Take time, though, to search your heart. Ask yourself if your thankfulness is rooted in circumstances or in the Lord. For all of us, may we continue to seek his face. If we have that muscle memory, that continued thankfulness for who God is, that he is good and his love endures forever. When we face another year like 2020, we will not be able to take our eyes off of him because to do so would violate that memory. We can hold to the fundamental truth that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Our very reason for thankfulness.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We are thankful that you are good, that you love us with an everlasting love. We pray that you will help us to hold to that truth. Help us to see that every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So another way that we see that God is good and we look to him and we practice that as we partake of communion, Jesus gave his life for us, a perfect symbol, a perfect sacrifice for us, and now we have, we take communion to remember that, and we acknowledge that his goodness and his love for us. Yeah, thank you, Nick, and so powerful that we don't know what to do, so we look to you. I mean, this, this is this moment of, of that, and several weeks ago when Nick and I sat down and he was sharing what was on his heart of give thanks to the Lord for he is good. It just struck me like I don't think that way very often as like my primary like not good, not good, not good, not good, not good. Oh, you are good and how revolutionary and life-changing and how throughout the centuries followers of our God have done that. And this is one of the most tangible things we can do to say you are good. We don't know what to do. We look to you. So um, what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll come and take this together, and then we'll, we'll remain standing and take it as family. The warnings in Scripture, and there are warnings in Scripture to not rush to the table. We should rush to the table, but the only thing that would stop us from rushing to the table is to make sure that, that we have repented of any sin that the Lord is showing us, that, that we, have, um, we have let him do work in us before we come and we, we take this together. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, um, there aren't warnings in Scripture about not taking this if you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, but, but what I would encourage you is, is this really doesn't mean anything apart from giving your life to him. But if you have given your life to him, then, then this is a, a beautiful, do this in remembrance of me. So what I would encourage you is if, if currently you're like, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus, or uh, man, I know where I'm at with Jesus and I know that I've not given my life to him, then what I would say is, is uh, it's not, it won't be embarrassing. D don't take this. Take Jesus. Give your life to him, then come up. Or if you say, you know, I don't, I don't even know if he's real. What I would just encourage you to do is one of the most valuable things you could do is just spend this time asking him if he's real. And say, um, and there, you'll hear a story in the next week or two um, of a person in our church who, who asked God to show him. And God showed him and he gave his life to Jesus. And so maybe even use this moment uh, for, for that, to, to look to him and just say, hey, if this is all real, would you show me? Um, because I, I wanna know. I don't want to be in the dark, and he doesn't want you to be in the dark either. So, so let's spend some time looking to him, and then let's come take the elements, wine, juice, obey your conscience, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll take together. So.